0: Can we do a little honesty check right here? And you don't have to raise your hand, but just sort of inside your heart, I want you to wrestle through this with me. Is there anybody in this room right now or at any point in the past that has ever wrestled with the effectiveness of prayer? Maybe you've... Prayed something over, I saw a hand raised, maybe you prayed something over and over and over again, and either you didn't see God move in response to it, or He answered in a a completely different way, and and maybe you got, or maybe you are uh, kind of disillusioned with the whole prayer thing. I think if we're honest, we've all been there, maybe some of us are there tonight. You know, this relationship with an invisible God comes with its challenges for us finite human beings. We'd, we'd lie if we didn't say that was the case. And I want to submit to you tonight that, that if, if you look back at your prayer life and you found many points at which you prayed but you did not see God answer, I want to throw out one possibility, and it's only a possibility. I'm not one to say that this is the case every time, because I think it would be cruel and and harsh to say that. It's just not the case. There are many factors when it comes to prayer. But sometimes we don't see answers to our prayer because we don't pray in faith. You cannot read the Bible and not come to that conclusion that God wants us when we pray to pray believing in Him and believing in the promises that He has given us, putting full confidence in Him. Now, again, that's only one factor. You got also got to pray in God's will. You got to pray in Jesus' name. You got to pray in the Holy Spirit. You got can't pray with unconfessed sin in your heart. There are many factors, but tonight we're going to talk about prayer and faith. And I'm going to flip through a few verses. Matthew 21, Listen to Jesus. He said, if you believe, if you believe, you'll receive whatever you ask for in prayer. In Mark 11, the disciples were blown away because Jesus had, had earlier said to a tree that didn't have any fruit on it. He's, he cursed the tree and later they came back to the tree and it was all shriveled up and they were blown away by his power. And Jesus uh, said to them in Mark 11, verse 22, Have faith in God. I tell you the truth, if anyone says to this mountain, Go throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be so for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. All these words, believe, don't doubt. Hebrews eleven six. 6, even stronger, without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. And I wonder if we're a people tonight that believe that when we pray. Do we really believe in the core of our being that we're talking to the living God? And do we believe that He rewards those who diligently seek Him? Do we believe that? How many of you have heard of George Mueller? A few. George Mueller was a man of prayer. He lived in the 1800s, and George Mueller would commit hours each day to prayer and Bible study. Near the end of his life, he would read through the entire Bible four times a year. He was so passionate for God's Word. And throughout the course of his life, George Mueller, I believe largely because of his prayers and God working through him, he was able to impact the lives of over 10,000 orphans over in England and beyond. Throughout his lifetime, he created 117 schools where these orphans were taught not only math and English, but they were taught the Word of God. And many of them came to saving faith in Jesus over the course of his ministry. Amazing. And if you were to ask the people around him, some of them didn't like it. They accused him of helping the poor to attain status in this life that they should not have had. And I love that. He was helping the unfortunate get places that no one else in society thought they could. And some thought they even should. But with God's help, he did that. And he kept a journal throughout the course of his life of his prayers. Over 25,000 prayers and their answers. 25,000. There was one story in there of a time when he was sailing across the Atlantic Ocean, and he had to get to an important appointment in Quebec. And as the captain was, was taking the ship through, there was a deep fog, and he began to slow the ship down. And George Mueller said, hey, I've got this very important appointment that I can't miss tomorrow. And the captain, who was named Joe, said, hey, we got this heavy fog. I'm slowing it down. So George Mueller said, could I please go into your chart room and begin to pray about this situation, and the captain reluctantly said, yeah, and he followed him down the stairs telling George Mueller what a waste of time this was. So George Mueller walks into the chart room of this ship and begins to pray that God would lift this fog so he could get to this meeting that was closely tied in with his ministry. He finishes praying, and the captain begins to pray right after, and George Mueller actually told the captain to stop praying. He told him to stop praying, number one, because he didn't believe God would answer. He said, don't pray if you don't believe. But also, he, he believed God had already begun to answer the prayer. And he went out, and he looked, and the captain looked in amazement. This deep fog that had settled over the ocean, as far as they could see, began to lift. And that captain named Joe eventually became known as Holy Joe because of what happened that day. He accepted Christ. And I thought, how cool would it be if if we were the kind of people of prayer like that, that the people around us couldn't help but say, wow, there's something going on there. There's something going on in that life. But after that life, you can imagine people were coming to George near the end of his life and saying, hey, what's the secret to your prayer life? I want some of that. And you think of all the ways he could have gone. He could have gone, well, you've got to pray early in the morning and you've got to pray for this long and you've got to pray this formula and you know all the things that we often read in books and everything. But you know what George Mueller said? that wide-open question, what's the secret to your prayer life? He said, have faith in God. Have faith in God. And if you knew anything about George Mueller, if you know anything about a biblical perspective, the emphasis is not on the faith that we can muster up. It's on the object of that faith. It's on God. Do I have that personal living relationship with the creator of the universe? Do I trust him? Because it's so much more than just head knowledge. It's so much more than just knowing about God. It's so much more than having a a theological degree so I know every fact about God. It's do I have that personal confidence in God? That's what 1 John talks about You remember? I wonder if we could say this when when we pray. 1 John 5. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will... He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of Him. See, it's confidence in God that that really matters when it comes to this whole faith thing when we pray. If we don't have confidence in God, we might as well not pray. Okay, let me just be honest that way. If we don't trust in Him, a Christian who believes in God Will automatically be a person of prayer. If if you know and believe in God, the natural outflow of that is, hey, I'm going to be praying. Think about Abraham. We hear this story so much. Some of us, from the time we were like three years old, I think it we we start to take it for granted and lose some of the power of it. He and Sarah were 90 and 100 years old, and God comes to him and says, "You guys are going to have a baby." And he tells them when. And I want you to put yourself in their shoes. I'll even make it easier on you. Let's, let's say you're only 75 or 65 or even 55. Would you really believe God when he came to you and said, you're going to have a baby? Look, look at what it says about Abraham in Romans. It says, without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. Okay, I love that line because Abraham's not in denial, all right? He, he hears the pops and feels the creaks and all that when he gets up in the morning. He sees the gray. He sees the wrinkles. He, he, in, in Paul's words, he knows his body was as good as dead. He's not in denial. He knows the facts since he was about 100 years old. And he also knew that Sarah's womb was also dead because she was 90 Yet, he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God. He did not waver. He knew the facts, but he also knew his big God, but was strengthened in his faith, and he gave glory to God. And I think that's a man who didn't just know about God. That's a man who didn't just believe in God. He believed God. When God told him something, he believed him. Less that's confidence. Hebrews 11 says, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. I want to ask you as a group, those of you who have trusted in Jesus specifically, what are you sure of tonight? What are some things that you're absolutely certain of, even things that you cannot see? Because faith looks at God, It looks at His promises and says, I'm confident of that because I'm confident of who you are and I'm confident that you keep your word. Is that us? There are some counterfeits for faith that we sometimes get mixed up in and one of them is emotional excitement and frenzy. And I'm not against emotions. I honestly think sometimes we get too scared of emotions on this side of the church world. We need to to bring them back in and know that it's okay to get excited in here and it's okay to, to laugh and have a good time and be passionate. That's allowed and I encourage it. But sometimes emotions get confused for faith. I don't know if you've ever been in a prayer meeting like that. We feel almost like if we can just get everybody all riled up, and if we can really believe something really hard, then, then it's going to happen, regardless of whether it has anything to do with what God wants. It's what we want. So let's just get excited about it, and it's going to happen. It's, we do this as kids, right? C.S. Lewis talked about this. Listen to what C.S. Lewis says. He says, We must not encourage in ourselves or others any tendency to work up a subjective state, which if we succeeded, we should describe as faith with the idea that this will somehow ensure the granting of our prayers we've probably all done this as children but that state of mind is not faith in the christian sense it is a feat of psychological gymnastics i think of it kind of like this we got a 5 year old boy at home named jaden and i remember the point where i had to sit down with him some for some reason he was talking about jumping off the roof and flying And I had to sit down with him and talk to him and say, don't ever do that because you can't fly, okay? And at our house, it's not grass around the the roof. It's concrete and rocks. So don't jump off the roof because sometimes he'll be up there while I'm putting up Christmas lights. But that's what little boys are like, right? They get up on the roof. They put the cape on and they think, if I just believe hard enough, I can fly. But what happens? Bam. That's the same thing that happens in our prayer lives if we confuse emotions and our excitement for faith. It doesn't guarantee an answer. Another counterfeit is sometimes when we demand something of God that He's never even promised us. And we think that just because we demand it and just because I want it so bad, He's going to have to answer. No, He doesn't. We learned this in a personal way in in our marriage, me and Carolyn. We were married for six years before we were able to have our first child, and it wasn't because we wanted to wait. We were trying for six years. And what we came to learn the hard way with failed pregnancy test after failed pregnancy test and then eventually him saying, now it's time. What we learned the hard way was that faith in God does not mean that I always get what I want. Faith in God means that God can give us a child. He's big enough, he's strong enough, but even if he doesn't, He's still good. He's still good, and I'm still going to follow him. Being uh, July 4th weekend, I thought this was appropriate. There was an army chaplain in World War II who wrestled with the same question. He sent this letter to a magazine in the United States, and it was an article called, Some Pray and Die. Imagine being a chaplain in World War II. And he writes, is there such a thing as getting the breaks in prayer? What about the fellows who pray regularly but get killed regularly? I wish people would stop writing about the soldiers who pray and have their prayers answered by not getting killed. Why do all the other soldiers seem to get the wrong answer? What I want to know is this. What sort of an extra special super powered prayer is needed to make everything turn out the way you want it? That sounds facetious, almost irreverent, but I'm serious. I really want to know. I'm an army chaplain, and I could use some special prayers with my men. And heaven knows we need them badly at times. Because the fact is, there are always more men who pray to come back than there are men who get back. Quite a lot more. What's the deciding factor? The thing for all of us to remember is this. Someone else does the answering. What you have in mind may not be what God has in mind. If you ask Him something, you must be willing to take what He gives. That is why I'm a bit depressed by the writings of those who try to get other people to pray by telling them that you get what you want. People must learn to want what they get. When I talk to soldiers about prayer, I try to tell them that they must be adults. God expects us to be men and women. Only children demand a happy ending to every story. How old must we be before we begin to realize that even prayer cannot get us everything we want unless the thing we want is right for us to have? Who gets the breaks in prayers? Nobody. There's no such thing. We get what God in His infinite love and foreknowledge sees fit to give. That's not always the same as getting what we want but it ought to be. I thought that was powerful from someone on the front lines of World War II. See, when it comes to praying in faith, at some point an acknowledgement that God's will and God's ways are higher than mine has to come into the picture. But our faith comes from what we know about God. I want you to think about this, how what we know about God should impact our prayer lives. How many of you believe God knows everything? Okay. So when we pray, we know that he knows what we need and what the people around us need far more than I do. So I'm going to trust him with those details, right? How many of you believe that God is all-powerful? Okay. So when we pray and we lay a big situation to him that's overwhelming to us, we believe that though it's too much for us to handle, it's not too much for him. He can do whatever needs to be done to settle that situation. How many of you believe that God is loving and faithful to his children? Yeah. So we can believe that whatever we lay before him, he's going to give us an answer that, that does not violate his love, that does not violate who he is, that does not violate all the promises that he's given us in his word. James 1, 5 through 7 says, if any one of you lacks wisdom... He should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. The author of uh, the book we're going through, Sense and Nonsense About Prayer, Layman Strauss, he was... He was strong. He said, if you tell me God does not answer prayer, I'll write you off as a person who either doesn't know God or does not trust Him or both. Those are strong words. As we get ready to go into our time of prayer, which I'm so excited about tonight, I want to ask you, I want to ask myself, do we really trust God? Do we really trust His promises? Do we believe that he will do what he says? If you're here and you don't know him yet, I think the one promise you need to be thinking about the most right now is John three sixteen, where he promises, hey, I so love the world, God so loved the world, he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. You've got to believe that and say, Jesus, I want that. I trust in you. I trust in what you did on the cross. I trust in your resurrection to forgive my sins so that I can have that relationship with the Father. Forgive me. Be my Savior and my Lord. He will keep that promise. But for the rest of us who have made that decision, I ask if we trust his promises, but we got to go back a step. Do we even know his promises? If I were to ask us as a group, how many of you could, could... Tell me right here and now, 15 promises that God's made to you. Or 12, or 10, or 7, or 3. And I start to wrestle like, how can we trust in something that we just often don't even know? Depending on who you ask, some will say there are over 1,200 promises of God to his children in the Bible. So all of a sudden you start to see how George Mueller reading through his Bible four times a year was tied in with his prayer. He's seeing these promises. And he's saying, I want that, God. And I thought, thought about it kind of like this. My wife, Carolyn, is great at getting on orbits or Hotwire and getting us great deals at resorts down in the valley in off seasons, like 75% off of some of these real fancy resorts down in Phoenix so that we can actually afford them. And you go into these places and they got the great pools with the waterfalls and they got the free food laying around and they got the live music and all this stuff. And I thought, you know, the way a lot of us live our Christian lives, it's kind of like if we were to go into that resort and, and we're walking through and my little guy saw the ice maker, which he did. But this is where the story gets fictional. What if we were to say, yeah, that is a pretty cool ice maker. Let's check this room out. And for four days, we stay in the ice maker room. And we're like, wow, this is cool. Let's make some more ice. You want some? You want to do it this time? And the whole time we're in there doing that, there's all these pools and all this food and all this live music and all these great rooms and awesome coffee out there that we never experience because all we know about is that ice maker. And then I think, how many of us settle for the ice maker in our Christian lives? We know one or two or maybe a few of God's promises, and we're content just to to hang on to those, if any at all. In the meantime, there's this whole resort full of his promises that he's saying, hey, I want you to have faith in what I'm giving you here. I want you to enjoy this. How many of us Are missing that. And tonight, what I hope to do during our prayer time, as Chris alluded to, after we take our offering, we're going to have some slides up there. And those slides are going to have 15 or 16 promises of God from the Bible. And the way it's going to work, each slide is going to start out with a thought that, that we may sometimes think. For instance, one of them says, I feel like nobody loves me. We all get there, we all get lonely, right? Well, then we look at God's promise. What's his promise? I love you and nothing can ever change that. Romans 8, 38 and 39. Nothing can separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. And then you're going to have a couple minutes with that slide up there to thank God for that promise and claim that promise. That even if you feel tonight like nobody loves you, you know he does. And in between those three sections of slides, these guys are going to come up from time to time, lead us in worship. But for the next half hour, it's going to be prayer and worship. I hope you'll dive in. I hope you'll pray in faith. And I hope as you see these 15 or 16 promises, that it doesn't end here, that you want to go out from here and say, wow, I want to learn more of God's promises this week. And I want to claim them. And I want to live in them, okay? So let's pray. Lord, I want to invite you to have your way in this room tonight. I want to get out of the way. And I want your Holy Spirit to lead your children in prayer. I pray that it would be prayer and faith. Prayer that claims your promises and trusts in you. Lord, prayer that trusts in your character. God, thank you for that privilege. And Lord, I pray that there would be a great excitement and fervor in your people about this opportunity to pray. Uh, Lord, I pray as we prepare for our offering here that that would be one more reflection of our faith in you. That as we give to you, we give not begrudgingly, not hesitantly, but saying, hey, I trust you, God. You're a big God. Even though this economy is whacked out right now, you're huge, and I trust you. I want to give to you. Lord, I pray that every aspect that happens with the rest of this service would just be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen.